movie time, digging through the crates of the throwbacks. Could I get away with that today? We don't know yet. Sit back while Diane and Jess examine this hot mess. Cause it can be no classic unless it passes the smell test. You smell it. Hello and welcome to the Smell Test Podcast, the weekly podcast where we review our beloved movies from our past to see whether they, as of today, January 2024, still hold up culturally, ethically, humorously, and through our own personal gut checks. We conclude our episodes by judging whether or not the films we've watched pass the smell test. Before we get started, we have a few disclaimers. If you have not seen the 1999 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, pause maybe, and you want to watch it separately because we will most certainly be spoiling this movie. Uh, the podcast solely represents the opinions of the podcasters and is meant for entertainment purposes only. Sometimes Diane says actors are dead. Sometimes Jessica misunderstands how people are portraying certain types of characters and are <laughs> it's not nice about it. And I'm so interested in Daniel's feedback from last week. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, uh, da, da, da. so uh, those are all our main our main announcements. My name is Jessica Homer and I'm an attorney and my areas of interest are employment, ethics, and compliance. I also teach college and law school. And um, uh, this movie, I'm the same age as the people in this movie. So that's exciting. <laughs> I thought about that. I was yeah. like, oh, wow. She, yeah. She a lot of them were born in 1981, which is when I was born. So I feel yeah. very connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, and I'm Diane. I am a PhD student eternally. Um, I also look at ethics. And then here's the moment where I go, fuck, we need to talk about this book chapter we're working on. <laughs> Every authors. And then um, we... I, I also uh, I dabble a little bit in the pop culture. I don't know. Have I mentioned my pieces that I write about um, pop culture? I wrote one on... I don't know. Have I told you this? I wrote a paper on uh, the ethics of Abbott Elementary. Yeah, you told me, that but show. you did not tell them. So I tell didn't them tell them. Tell satisfied. Yeah, the show Abbott Elementary. I have a um, a paper out about the an article, a journal article about the public service ethics within it, and I also. Um, on the back, it's somewhere in the, the fray right now, but I, I've been writing about equity in the Golden Girls. Yes. I don't think I told you about that. Did I tell you about that one? I know that you've written stuff about the Golden Girls. This one's like a legitimate article okay. that I've been writing about the Golden Girls and like bringing in um, what I call the zeitgeist. So like what was happening at the time and blah, blah, blah. But so I don't know. I should lean in. I'm trying to lean into my pop culture. I also taught pop culture and I, I teach various courses. Um, if you're a student who Googled me because you're taking me this Wednesday. Hey, spare a lot in this uh, class, though. I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell the dean. We have terrible language. <laughs> don't tell. Don't oh, tell. Oh, man. What if my law students have heard me? <laughs> I know. I it's no, probably. did I tell you? Like, shout out to this student. A student um wrote to me that they listened that they listened to a few episodes and it like warmed my heart. I was like, Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so thank you if you're still listening. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Because now you have zero incentive because yeah. I'm not grading you. And I love it. I love it. Not that we 
Not that we would change things, but, you know, <laughs> we appreciate that there's no issue. Not that I would openly admit to that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, no, no. It was a great story. Are you? How are you as a grader? I'm just wondering. Just oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> for all the students who couldn't find me on Rate My Professor but found this, I'll tell you how I am at grading. <laughs> um, in, I've never been on Rate My Professor, and I like... I I always always like damn I wish it, I wonder if I would have got that chili pepper back in the day but now it's not on there anymore. I'm yeah, the teacher's hot. All right, keep going. Right. Um, how I'm as a grader, I'm one of those people who like ninety five percent of class earns an A. Yeah. Um, because the classes I have been teaching, it, it would be a little ridiculous for students not to earn an A. Um. I could give you a little bit of my teaching philosophy. So <laughs> I've had to write Look up it. Hello, hello, students of uh, spring 2024. <laughs> you know your profession. First things first, I treat students with bolded empathy. Um, so I actually don't, I sometimes put that there's late penalties, usually not. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, listen, I've worked with students who are at literally the bottom, like, they were at the bottom of their life, like the lowest of the low. And I was trying to get them to even come to class, like in yeah. some classes I've taught, like kind of like um, like a lean on me situation or stand and deliver situation, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, just, like kidding. Just, just someday kidding. a kid's going to say, oh, captain, my captain. And I will <laughs> yeah. but I'm like, just get it in at some point. Um, I look for progress of individual students so i usually don't grade against them against each other if that makes mm -hmm. sense yeah only if like so for instance if i have like a discussion post and like 29 of the students didn't understand they were supposed to do a follow-up response post to somebody i'm like all right that's on me yeah so but overall i'm a pretty easy grader what about you oh, i'm a fucking sucker I will say that this is the thing is that I give them I don't have much patience when they don't use the tools, but I give them every tool yeah. to make it an easy A if yeah. you just put in a little bit of work. That's but exactly it. And you know what I do? Because I tell my students I design this turned into a pedagogy podcast, yeah, but I I mean, it's related. This mm -hmm. movie We're talking about high school, y'all. <laughs> but I um. I designed the class for what 20 year old slacker me needed. Yeah. I could have benefited from. Mm -hmm. So I also have a lot of like essentially area like points where you can course correct. Yeah. In the term mm -hmm. that way you're like, like if a student, which this happens, like a student will be like, Oh shit, I'm in this class. And I kind of like let it go by the wayside. They still have time to catch up. That's yeah. how I designed the class. Yeah, I don't have like, so with my business law classes, I don't have a lot of, um, I, you know, I don't have a lot of sway on how many tests there are because it's a mandatory class and there's certain things I have to cover. But, you know, one of the things that I tell my students every year and it's like they don't believe me and I get annoyed by that, but I say, okay, this is the deal. Those of you who understand section one, it's a literal interpretation. It requires regurgitation of information. 
half of you will get super cocky and be like, oh, I don't need to work that hard for test two. But test two requires applying the mm -hmm. laws we've already learned in the situations. So if you don't pay attention to test two, you're going to fail it. And every fucking semester, I get like six to eight kids who complain about the test to me that it was too hard. And I'm like, listen, bitch, it's, you, it's to be hard for I told you mm -hmm. that this is going to happen. You didn't submit your review sheet, which I, I allow them to submit review sheets and I correct the review sheets. So if they don't submit them, it's not my problem. And they, and like every year it gets a smaller number and smaller number that don't submit the review sheets and that feels good. But, but I do, I give them all the tools, but I'm like, if a kid can't come to a test, I'm like, whatever. That's the thing is that multiple tests, especially multiple choice tests are not real life, right? right? Like in no point in time, are you, if you're a nurse, they're not going to be like, quick nurse, do I need a scalpel or a stethoscope right now? Like right. they don't give you like yeah. ABCD, like stop it. Yeah. So I don't know. I think a lot of the ways that like we, I think the way that I was taught is not always practical for real life. And I want them to have more practical application, you know, and, and yeah. because yep. the classes I teach all have an ethics base to them, I'm like, at the end of the day, Yep. If your ethics drive you to cheat, like, so first of all, students, students everywhere, AI use of papers is dumb because they make up the citation. We so if we're, you we're click the citation link and yeah. then it says, this isn't real, then we know you didn't write the paper. Stop being stupid. Thank you. So you know what I don't do What's in that? class? Uh, I, I don't just straight up tell a high school student that they're a heinous bitch. <laughs> Do you also not write porn while you're talking to them? <laughs> Hold on. I know you're your guidance counselor, but I need another word for throbbing. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, so 10 things I hate about you is um, I did. This was my first time watching it and I did define with the teachers more than the students. So that was you know, fun. I was thinking when I was watching it, I was like, yo, this is like the perfect. This is like Disney movies, right? Like as a kid, I felt like very I mean, obviously, I'm not like a beautiful, rich girl from California, but like yeah, the, yeah. I identified with the teenagers and like now as an adult, like how fucking great would it be? Listen, yeah. I genuinely love most of my students, but we always have one that we would be like, you're an asshole. Like, I cannot wait until someone beats the shit out of you. And, and I was like, this is like the person who wrote this was an educator. Well, that's not what he said. He said, she's going to slap the shit out of you or something and I'm not going to stop her. Which, and another like time he said, I only care about your weekend if you get your ass kicked this weekend <laughs> so, so 10 things i hate about you what's the premise so 10 things i hate about you is based on very closely based on taming of the shrew by william shakespeare very the cool. idea that there are two sisters with an uptight father in in the case of the movie a gynecologist father who is very scared of his daughters getting knocked up uh who in our motherless and the because the older sister is a little antisocial and kind of hates everyone. The dad thought to make the rule that the younger sister cannot date until the older sister is willing to. So thus ensues a plot by Joseph Gordon-Levitt 
and his friend whose name is escaping me right now um deciding to pay a guy to get the older the older brother to go and michael yeah hey joey yes or no they convinced joey to pay patrick who's played by a heath ledger to court cat right so a big if you haven't seen it like that's pretty wild to me (laughs) (laughs) complicated plot so the two quote-unquote nice guys pay the jerk off asshole rich guy i mean convince the jerk off old they don't pay him yeah asshole rich guy manipulate to pay the scary guy to date the older sister and the scary guy as it turns out is the perfect match for the older sister yeah and that i think that's a pretty good yeah so why was this movie important for us to watch Oh my gosh. So I can't remember the first time I watched it, but this is one of those movies that like I know so much of what happens or the dialogue that like even though I haven't seen I hadn't seen it in a while, I can't remember how long. Like it it was like muscle memory to me to yep. say the lines. Um this film is also um one it has a soundtrack that my Stop. brother had on it was either cassette tape or CD and he gave it to me in the early 2000s and it was probably one of the only soundtracks I ever owned. It's like my favorite soundtrack. Oh, so good. It's Eric, such a great soundtrack. While I was watching the movie, Eric was like, no, I'm not going to watch it with you. And he kept coming in the room because he heard the songs and he's like, oh, I fucking forgot about this song. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. And so, uh, that's one of the reasons why I loved it. And what made it so special at the time is there are so many like, so I watched it with my husband who is a Gen Xer and he didn't know most of these people or he knows them because of like what they're in now, like Heath Ledger, Joseph Gordon, love it, whatever. The but males like, in this movie just really skyrocketed to like really but- excellent work. Uh, some of them uh well let's get we'll get into that but and then some of them started cults (laughs) exactly (laughs) and so there was this ensemble cast of all these like andrew keegan he was always the hot dude he was the my love of my life guest stars and yes then um one of the camp movies as a babe and like uh just a camp nowhere camp nowhere was it okay and then larissa olnick who was alex mack she so. was like Nickelodeon royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia Stiles, I did not know who she was yet, but Joseph Gordon Levitt was in Third Rock from the Sun. Right. Um, David Crumholtz was always like doing bit parts and stuff. So I recognize And then him. he was an Oppenheimer, so he's really taking it out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this like it was this a lot of Nickelodeon stars were, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but there, so it was like at the time in 1999 when it came out, it was this like you saw all these people who you loved growing up essentially becoming young adults. And that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Sure. So you were, you were 18 when it came out. Yeah. Which yeah. Julia yeah. Stiles' character. Actually. Yeah. So in real life, Julia Stiles, Larissa Olenek and Joseph Gordon-Levitt were all born in 1981. So we were like all the same age around in that time period. And then, and this one, this movie, besides Gabrielle, Gabrielle Union, who mm-hmm. is, you know, 
perpetually never ages. So I, she have gets some, like I love her as a person, but I have thoughts yeah. on what she's had to endure as an actress. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> have you read her books? No, but oh, uh, I, I do like her a lot. You have to <laughs> audible them because her reading them just adds something to it. I'm obsessed oh. with her. But um, but the they're all everyone was, you know, Heath Ledger, um, Andrew Keegan, they were only 20, you know, so there was like, they were all like high school kids playing yeah. high school kids, which for a long time was not the case. Luke Perry was like 30 something playing a high school kid. And, and they probably like, didn't have high school because they were all child actors and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. They had all been all it looked like a playful set for a long time. Yeah. They said that they, um, you know, um, Crumholtz, he's, he says the guy who plays Michael, the, mm-hmm. um, the AV kind of dorky friend who teaches got kicked out of the school. future Ivy League club because he was accused of wearing outlet eyes on. <laughs> right. Um, but he said that they all became very good friends very fast. And actually, even in Gabrielle That's Union's clear. book, she talks about that. She talks about them as like liking all of them. She was a lot older than them, but that was a part of the book. But it was yeah, so it's it's you know a very classic story. So there's and actually in the writing credits, William Shakespeare is one of the writers. Yes. So it really stays true to that kind of. Um, you know, I was kind of a literature geek a little bit. I liked an old book. I liked Shakespeare stuff. Um, reading. Well, it. Had you read it before you watched and things I hate about you? You know, I don't know. I don't know which way, which order that happened. I, you know, I've talked a lot about, like, I had a pretty, I had pretty insane advanced reading list, especially when I lived in Stoughton, Massachusetts. Like, I read Tender is the Night. I like all those kind of books, like in ninth grade. Why? <laughs> I don't I've know. never read this. Uh, really I'm not understand. familiar with this story. Okay. Did you I, know when you watched it that it was based on a William Shakespeare? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and when they referenced it a lot during. Oh, I think I saw this in theaters, so I, I watched this right away in theaters. And this was our first exposure as Americans to Heath Ledger and the magic yep. of Heath Ledger. So that was pretty yep. important. And then Andrew Keegan was my like love of my life growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and, so it was just know, a real joy, was, right? Yeah, it was yeah. so good. And the music, man, it, Ugh, oh, so incredible. good. I miss Letters to Cleo. I'm only gonna listen to them for the next week. yes so so it was a really important one to me so i'm glad we get to talk about it today uh so one of the things i think i really liked about this movie is that julia styles character wasn't having any of it and while i think i have always i don't know that i would fall into the realm of people pleaser necessarily but i do always maintain a friendly attitude most of the time until you really know me and podcast listeners, you obviously really know that there's inner bitch inside. And so Julia Stiles, I was like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her bitchy attitude. And I, but that scene, man, I, one thing that I will say that was different this time around that scene when she's like, Ernest Hemingway was drunk and why don't we listen to Sylvia Plath? And he, and the, the teacher flips out and goes, have them buy a book by a black author. I never noticed that. But mm-hmm. it was very much insightful for this idea of how like kind of white feminism has carried on that they like imparted in this movie uh-huh. in such a clever way that I was like, oh, I don't think I I read that as much as I did 
this time. He also was like mocking is Mr. Morgan mm -hmm. played by Daryl Mitchell was also like mocking white feminism mm -hmm. yeah. in the classroom, which I just thought I was like, Ooh, I never noticed that as much before. Um, okay. Well, let's start here. Was she really that much of a bitch? No. You say she's a bitch, but it just sounded like, She's pointing out that there's a lot of white dudes. Well, I guess she just dudes is what she focused on. Mm -hmm. That there was a lot of males they were studying. She didn't really say anything that was super. I don't think she was that bitchy, but obviously there was like a history of her kicking some guy in the balls and all this. So allegedly she was a bitch, which is why when she gets sent to the, is it the principal or the guidance she's counselor? She's a guidance counselor is what I read, but she's, I thought she's it was like, Oh, all the, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Miss Perky. And she's like, you know, everyone says you're a heinous bitch, which I was like, that's problematic. But all the things that she did was, was just not being how girls are supposed to act. Right. Quote unquote, because everything she did, like, she kicked a guy in the nuts, but he had tried to grope her, so just right. And, like, this, I, I love how she was because what she was, and I guess didn't stop being, she just, like, was a little more loving about it, is the, what every girl thinks in their head, that they want to react to a situation. A guy can't come up and put their arm around me and me feel comfortable. And a lot of us just kind of, like, laugh it off. But she was like, fuck you, get away from me. And I and so I dig that, right? Yeah, I do too. I just I wouldn't necessarily call it bitchy. Like I would yeah. really oh, love right. to have a daughter. Like if I had a daughter, I'd be like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But, you know, this was in comparison to her sister sister Bianca, who was like a fuzzy little bunny, you know. Yeah. She, she was cute and giggling. she was perky and she wore little little sundresses every day sundresses mm -hmm. that fall in all the right places put her in your spank bank that's what michael said to, to cameron's character very um oh boy. feminine delicate yeah. mm -hmm. so everyone preferred her because she wasn't bitchy she was a nice girl yeah exactly right and then we learn that the reason that she doesn't she didn't put up with shit is because she was treated like shit when she had sex and then she decided she wasn't ready to keep having sex. Right. And then she's like, I'm not going to do what everyone else does just to do what everyone else does, which I, you know, I, that's beautiful. That's like a real reason to do shit like that. Like, I love it. So I apologize. I don't really think she's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like a bitch, like a, like bitch, like, you know, like in a, we're reclaiming it kind yeah. of way. Yeah, she yeah. was just basically just, you know, feminist for the most part. I mean, yeah, feminist. Yeah. Um, all right. So I don't know. That was <laughs> one main thing that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about uh, some of the characters and kind of where they are now. I do think we need to talk about Andrew Keegan's. Uh, <laughs> so in 2011, Andrew Keegan is jumped by a group of gang members and injured. And then he decides he's going to, he's seen what he's supposed to do with his life. And that is to start a church called Full Circle. And I found this, like, this article so in 2014 he starts this church that has been often called a cult um and it's called like 
full circle because it's supposed to be exploring the synchronicity of the world. Can you believe that that's where this went? Also, that we haven't heard about it. So maybe it's not that bad because it's 10 years and it hasn't done a bunch of bad things. So. I mean, I've heard about it, just not a lot. Well, we've only heard about it because of Andrew Keegan. Probably. I mean, maybe. I feel like I've heard other stuff. But um, so he plays... Joey, who is the rich guy who pays mm -hmm. Heath Ledger's character, and he's just an overall dickhead. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he's boring. Rich. He's a model. He's a dumb, kind of dumb. Yeah. Full of himself, misogynistic, all that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, you know, you talk. We talked about incel prototypes. I would say Cameron. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Prototype a little bit. Um, so when Cameron sees, so Cameron, first, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, phenomenal, right? I love that guy. I don't like all of his movies. Like, no. I really hate that uh, summer one, 500 uh, yeah, Days. Yeah, 500 Days. Is, to his credit, as a person, he hates that character, too. Yeah, he always says, I don't understand why people think that's a romantic lead. He's an awful yeah. person terrible dude and yeah. and that yeah but um one of the things reminded me of what we talked about last week because remember when he sees her that idol character that idolizing someone he sees larissa olenix Olin let's call her bianca because that's her name in it it's much easier to pronounce <laughs> and bianca and cat well bianca and kate are the names of the characters in taming of the shrew so they didn't even change their names at all mm -hmm. um he sees her from across the quad and he says, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. But it's not just that. Look at her eyes when she smiles. She's pure. And the movie was about, big surprise, Diane picked it, virginity culture. <laughs> <laughs> big surprise. Wow. If you listen to our early episodes, every every single uh Every single movie Diane picked was about losing virginity. <laughs> There's always a virginity element in the high school films, which is like, is that really a me thing or is that a weird of them thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. But that like he's she's pure. I was like, oh, I don't like that. But Joey sees that same thing. So they both see her. They both have the same kind of gaze on her, uh -huh. but in different like one's portrayed as a nice guy because he's geeky but then the yeah. other one is portrayed as an asshole because he's you know full of himself and you know it, it's just different i don't think it's that different but whatever i would say that um cameron's character is more uh interested in her wholly like her right. fully like she's He's got her as the love of my life, right? Like sure. instead of like in those kind of John Cusack movies. Right. Based on a very limited knowledge of right. her. And he only heard like two snippets of conversations in which she's revealed to be kind of dumb, but right. still smarter than Gabrielle Union, apparently. <laughs> and then um, Andrew Keegan's character just wants to have sex with her. Right. And that's really. the only reason. So that's what that's what makes him a nice guy, which. I just have to say is kind of what quote unquote nice guys say, right? Like, oh, right. you're just into the Chad. Like, so Joey would be like the Chad, right? So mm -hmm. you're just into this guy and um, I'm actually the nice guy because I actually care a lot about you. So there's a scene in the film 
where um he gets angry at bianca because bianca goes off with joey at a party and then he's driving bianca home and he essentially like starts exploding on her and that made me so uncomfortable because he was essentially like at some point he learns french to pretend to be a french tutor for her and stuff and he's like basically like bitching her out going like and i learned french for you and i've been doing this and that for you and like basically just dumped like all these examples of him being a quote-unquote nice guy and then in response she kisses him in the middle of him being pissed off right but like i don't like and i think that kind of perpetuates a certain um attitude uh, like it gives a certain message to young men who were watching at the time and also to the young women, right? So a man getting angry or a boy getting angry like that is actually because he's passionate and he cares. And um, you should kiss him. You should defuse him when he's mad like that because he's only mad because he loves you. And it's showing guys like, oh, if you throw a fit like this, then she'll kiss you because then she'll, you know, realize like oh yeah i've been wrong i'm gonna i'm gonna argue just a little bit on this point here because she fucked him first like so so she told him fucked him over if you can get yeah she fucked him over first be clear <laughs> but she said if you can get someone to date my sister then i can date you so she knew about the whole oh plan. so you're saying that she was manipulating she used him, him. So she and didn't... then he called her out for using him. Where normally, if that okay. was the start, but I, but her that she, that's why she acted so guilty at the party because she knew he is the reason why she was even there. She did, he did everything she asked him to. She used him so because she knew she just wanted to go out with Andrew Keegan's character. So I would have been mad too. I see. I wouldn't have let, actually, though, my kind of mad know. though, I wouldn't have let the kiss fix it. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. that's pathetic bro like have some decency like that's she just used you <laughs> like walk away he drove and then she he still had to drive her home like i would have been pissed if i was him i guess my broader point is that maybe people who don't actually act that way or women so like you know how in today's society uh, you know there's a reddit page called like slash nice guys mm -hmm. and there's like stories where like dudes will th guys will think women lead them on and stuff when mm. they're just they're being just nice existing. yeah right and so yeah. i think that sh you can argue you made a good case like why it was justified to be upset in this particular circumstance but i think as viewers young men <laughs> in particular and well both young men women they them whatever watch that and think and like interpret their own situations that way when that's not the case yeah and and for sure in normal circumstances we've seen this that kind of fight happen in 15 movies at this point and normally i'm very like that's ridiculous when someone right. starts yelling at you like that it's just in this particular situation i think she really used him and that was him realizing how used he was right and because even when he says, do you have any idea how selfish you are? She's like, or have you yeah. always been this selfish? And she, she goes, said yes. yes. And I was like, look at her being all self-aware. You know, 
there are people that I know who are well into their 40s that are plenty of fucking selfish and would never say that out loud. Or say sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for her to be a 16-year-old doing so is uh, is big, I think. Yeah. couple of other things mm-hmm. um, about teenage relationships. Um, the whole... So there's like this like side storyline at this party where there's this very drunk woman, drunk mm-hmm. girl, who's trying to make out with Patrick's character. And then he goes, make out with him and pushes her towards a random dude. And then it like, it shows him making out later and he's so grateful. And there's a message being sent like, oh, he hooked up this nerdy guy. And, right. this, you know, that was really problematic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> to me what 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 do you think oh yeah, yeah. and it was a, I was like oh no but on the juxtaposition of that is that uh-huh. Heath Ledger's character there you go she's mm-hmm. super drunk and he yep. wouldn't even let her kiss him even after exactly. she had kind of like started to wake up because he knew right. it was wrong and mm-hmm. that made her mad because right. she got rejected right which I thought what you know I hadn't paid attention to that as much when I was younger but you know, watching it now, I'm like, yeah, you go, Patrick. And so yeah. I thought it was really interesting that we had portrayals of essentially someone dealing with a drunk person, mm-hmm. a drunk woman. Um, and those are like two ways you can deal with a drunk woman. You could either, you know, take advantage of it or you can care about her enough to yeah. not let her uh, or not engage with that. Right. Right. The only kind of saving grace is into the, the creepy side of that is I was like, well, at least they're still just making out. Yeah. <laughs> in the open. Hours. In and the open like, in front of people. Right. Like she's still. You know, on. Yeah. So, hands in respectful places. <laughs> right. It's just kissing. So, I mean, it still doesn't feel good if you don't mean to be part of it. But, but yeah, there, I think for it. sure. I, you know, one of the things, and that kind of brings me to this, you know, one of the things that we learn early on as viewers is that Heath Ledger's character, Patrick, is not scary or a bad dude in any way, shape, or form. There's just a lot of rumors about him. There's a lot of rumors about him. And there's, (laughs) which is the same as in Superstar. (laughs) Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, and it's just so funny. I think that that's like one element that makes things enjoyable and funny in this movie to watch now but also then that like there's all these perceptions and stories of both Kat's character and Patrick's character of like where they were and what they did and like whether or not it's valuable to tell people the truth about yourself Mm. right like so he was away for a year and everyone thought he was in jail but really he was in Milwaukee taking care of his dying grandpa right and like what is the do you not tell people do you not correct that because a you love oh we do have multiple choice in real life i was wrong a you love you love that bad boy persona b you don't think it's their business or c you just don't care Mm. and like but we see that a lot in relationships period that like people make up stuff about you do you think like on an ethical spectrum do you think you have a responsibility to fix those kind of rumor spaces or do you let them happen what do you what do you think about that i think it depends on the rumor if it's something that's not hurting me 
professionally, mm-hmm. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now if it's something there have been, <laughs> I'll tell you offline what it was, but I was in a situation where something was said about me and I was concerned at how that would impact my relationship with uh professors that I had and um when that happened I was like do I correct this rumor um or do I just let it ride and let my work and my character and whatever speak for itself mm-hmm. and then the people who who need to know who I am will know who I am blah 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 and I opted for the latter because, and I think this would happen in high school too. If you try to like refute a rumor and when I was in high school, something went out around out, went around about me. Uh, and I mean, I didn't really feel the need to go around and go no, or, you know, clear it up or whatever. And the reason being that if you start to respond to it, it almost like then makes people more suspicious. Mm-hmm. So it, it ends up like not even helping. I don't think sometimes yeah. in some cases it'll reify something. Um, I like it. I hate to say it, but like uh, with a lot of rumors and stuff, usually if people respond to it, it for some reason ends up looking poorly on that person instead right. So I've just kind of, I moved through life with a very like, stay true to yourself and other, don't worry about that. Other people will, the people who matter will figure it out. And I think that goes into like vulnerability. So to actually tell people like, to tell Kat like, oh, I was with my dying grandpa. That's like a vulnerable thing to say, right? And you shouldn't have to go around your school going, I was actually caring for my sick grandpa. I wasn't in jail or doing whatever. So what about you? So I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking to the city council in the city I work for. And I was saying how a lot of times, I think for a long time in American work culture, we have had like a do what I say period thought process about work. And then, you know, 15, 20 years ago, Google starts to like change the way that work atmospheres are supposed to feel. And this is a little off, like with rumors is a little different, but in general, I think people respond better when they understand where you're coming from, period. And, but there are so many people who are hesitant to be vulnerable with their colleagues, to to feel, be honest, be truthful, say, this is why we're doing things. Or we're just so rushed in our hyperproductive environment. You know, like I have worked on cases, I investigate complaints of in workplace stuff, and I've investigated cases where the boss has had like a really good reasoning, but the boss has not felt the need to share that reasoning with his colleagues or her colleagues or their colleagues. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, there's a disconnect because if someone else has another idea, maybe the boss has already actually thought that through, but they're not being open enough. Yeah. So I and I think that we can out of all things that I can say about myself is I think I'm pretty open, 
period. And I, I find that people react yeah. to that better. So in that openness, mm-hmm. now I say that as a person who comes from a privilege that I haven't had terrible, the only, the only rumor I can think of about myself that has ever really gone around is um, my neighbor. He's dead now. RIP Joey. But uh, heroin's a bad thing, guys. Um, but my neighbor, when I was a kid, a girl tried to fight me. And my neighbor went up and goes, you don't want to fight her. She will ruin you. And <laughs> I've never been in a fight in my life. <laughs> so, so, except for like when my brother and I used to fight each other. But like, I wouldn't even know how to get into a fight. So thank God he did that. And that rumor came up that I was tough. And that kind of like. And because we like played football together, that's where he was coming from. He wasn't like trying to be a benevolent neighbor. He's like, we play football. She wrecks me. So like, maybe don't do this to her. But that started this kind of rumor that I was a little tougher than I was. So I had this other situation, like my cousin's cousin. So this girl that I kind of knew, you know, she uh, she told someone once, like, if you keep picking on me, I'm going to tell my cousin Jess Homer. And like, um, you know, and so it, I I took on a little bit of a reputation of being a tough guy, <laughs> like in sixth and seventh and eighth grade where with no backing. But I wasn't going to correct that because what if. Someone- yeah, <laughs> which is kind of what Patrick's character. Right. Did. And I, right. I agree with you about workplace stuff. But if it's just personal and the stuff like that went around about cat was actually just true. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. For the most part, but the reasoning wasn't right. It's just you didn't yeah. reveal her logic. Yeah. Right. right. And, Which and so I do so intimate. You don't want to have to. Right. No, but, it, but as we grow into adult relationships and I know I've shared this story before, but one of the things I always told my husband that I didn't like romantic com- comedies because you wait so long to say like, I love you. <laughs> just fucking say it don't wait um but that is because in like my core kind of relational values i think being open is important but that's not how everyone reads and it takes a lot to like Mm -hmm. you know that is something that frankly i have to adjust for other people i can't have them adjust for me because i'm forcing them out of a space of comfort where it doesn't cause me discomfort to do things their way so a lot of times they'll do things their way you know mm-hmm. so that's my tangent on that and I, well and i also i wonder what rumors because you know you and i grew up around this time so we know how rumors start circulate mm-hmm. reify mm-hmm. but like in today's society it almost seems like a I don't know how rumors are in today's like amongst the high schoolers say it seems like on one end that a lot of misinformation or disinformation would go more sure. quickly but on the other like you could just go see that Patrick was chilling in Milwaukee by looking at his Instagram because right. he's posting photos with his grandpa all summer. I do yeah. think kids are more cynical nowadays meaning that they want a receipt, right? Okay, that happened, um, prove it. Instead more of you know said. Media literate is what I would call it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that. But I mean, but they're raised by, you know, kids no, in high school right sense. now are raised by people my age. And, you mm-hmm. know, so they're, we always, I feel like generations overcorrect themselves. So they're like, listen, when I went to high school, there was like bullying to suicide and no one talked about bullying. So they didn't listen to that. So you have to hate bullying. You know what I mean? And like, so now. Right. Kids that are 
in high school have a very different perspective because my generation, and I mean like my age and up, have overcorrected what we went through in high school. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, you know, that's why everyone, <laughs> that's why there's such a pendulum shift all the time because we're trying to be better than how we were raised. Yeah, and I would say that in today's society, there's also there's the court of what is a court of public opinion. So mm-hmm. even though I would say these day to day like rumors about like one person who seems mysterious are less common. What's more common is if someone acts like a dick, suddenly the entire country may know about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I is- mean, we have very open conversations about whether we like the actors, you right. know, I like I think that that is something that couldn't happen 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. No one knew about the magic of John Cusack, the person. Right. You know, right. And so um, we probably would have never figured out that Andrew Keegan was a cult. Right. Right. Um, well, so I found this great <laughs> this great article that talks about the like seven cosmically awesome details of his cult and so he's got at least some fans but basically um this cult is what the theology behind it is the highest spiritualism founded on universal knowledge so it was founded because he was attacked and that happened at the same time as the tsunami hitting japan Mm. and he was looking at a street light and it exploded and he felt like that was a weird (laughs) coincidence that showed the world is synchronously connected he believes himself to be a conscious social movement uh to provide an experimental environment that creatively expands consciousness through visual and performing arts movement classes workshops form in healing therapies um they do sound so some of the stuff they do i do like they do some sound baths and crystals and shit like that so maybe i could be in this cult someday what do you think they distributed kombucha as well i'm in (laughs) (laughs) i love a good kombucha as long as it's turmeric flavored because i like my kombucha to be as truly douchey new age medicine as possible (laughs) no give me that Uh, like the mango one where you can't taste anything yeah yeah we go our farmer's market we buy one and it's like it's like almost you can tell the kombucha has alcohol in it because of this stuff and i'm like yeah we can have one glass every three days like that's all i can take it's <laughs> oh goodness all right so making kombucha is like the worst thing that they do they got in trouble because um, they were distributing kombucha without a license. If that's the worst thing they're doing, let them go be their happy little hipsters. So yeah. yeah, it seems like whatever. I he might call himself the savior. That's one of the yeah. songs that they have, but it's cool. All right. Tell me about your Gabrielle Union pieces that you want to talk about. Oh, okay. she's big sign, y'all. <laughs> so Gabrielle Union. Like, she always played generic black friend and mm-hmm. female friend and a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, is she in Bring It On? Uh, yeah, she's the I, head cheerleader of the, the main person, Bring Clovers. It On. Yeah. So, I, uh, her character is not distinguishable. I think she was also in She's All That. I'm pretty sure. And I kept thinking, like, oh, which one, which scene was in She's All That? versus this one because i'm pretty sure 
she ends up in both films. I would have to like really quickly look and I don't think I can. But basically, um she's in she's, she's all that, yeah. She kind of ends up as the woman that the jackass ends up with. Right. Like as the backup. Yeah. Which is like a problem. Well, first of all, because I mean, when we talk about looks, she is the most stunningly beautiful human alive. Period. End of day. She's gorgeous. Why is she She's a second exactly choice ever? <laughs> she She's should never exactly second. the same. What? But you know, in this film in particular, she ends up. So Joey shows up to pick Bianca up. She's not there, and so he goes to her place, and she happily her character happily goes to prom with joey knowing full well that she's sloppy seconds but then she's like telling bianca he was gonna nail you tonight and it's just like ew and i'm pretty sure i could be totally wrong i might be wrong but i think and she's all that i want to say she ended up with the jackass paul walker but i actually am not sure if that's even correct but I don't remember. Basically, well, let's focus on this movie. They they did her character dirty, I feel like. Because they just like shifted her into like this kind of double crossing like person. Yeah, like in the beginning, she would like really looked up to Alex Mack, right? Like she really was like, Alex What Mack. do you think? What do you think yeah. about this? And yeah, like she was treating her like she was a sage, yeah. you know. And then suddenly she's like, you snooze, you lose, bitch. And it's just like, like oh, okay. <laughs> you declined and just walk away. What is she, something like that at the party? She passed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which she wasn't wrong, but also they just kind of like started shifting her into being like a mean girl, mm-hmm. which I didn't love. Yeah, but on the same, when, when Alex Mack knew she did bad, right? Bianca knew she did bad to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. She tried to push chastity into him. And that was all the same night, too. So, like, the story arc of of Bianca kind of, like, getting what she deserves for being such a using asshole to everybody. Okay. A little bit. Now, obviously, Andrew Keegan's character, he's side sideline. Really bad. Bad guy, right? <laughs> we hate him. But I do think a little bit, like, she... That shifted when Bianca pushes chastity, because, of course, we're talking about purity culture and and Gabrielle Union's character is chastity, pushes chastity into Joseph Gordon-Levitt to get herself out of the way. Right. You know? So, like, so basically her character... So you're basically saying she was also treated poorly by Bianca, which is why she was an asshole to Bianca. I think she just got used. I is think Bianca like, the real the villain of this film? I think yeah. Yeah. I, I think she has a good character arc. She like becomes a better person as it goes. But she's awful. She's also younger than all of them, right? Yeah. Her and well her and yeah. everyone else are seniors. Yeah, her and Chastity are sophomores. Everyone else are seniors. So she kind of has an excuse, I guess. But hmm. Yeah, I guess I really didn't think too much about what an asshole she was before now. You're welcome. Happy, <laughs> happy to be here. Happy that I could uh, display it all to you. So another thing I wanted to talk about is the weirdness of the dad's rules in this movie, because they weren't allowed to date people, but she could, but Julia Stiles character could buy 
concert tickets at a club. Right. You know what I mean? Like why like dating is scary. And I know they like I think they really did a good job of him being like turning that, you know, in the Shakespeare play, the dad is like a rich, just a like wealthy aristocrat. But in the, you know, in the movie, they have him be an OBGYN who just delivered twins to a 15 year old, you know, like those kind of but things. Bianca like calls a crack whore, which is more <laughs> yes. that Bianca's kind of an asshole. She also, <laughs> Bianca calls a crack whore. She says, why can't an R word take uh-huh. you out so I can go on a date? Yeah, she's the bad guy. We're not. <laughs> she was she, kind of an asshole. You're shit. right. She is a shit. And when um Kat tried to have a serious conversation with her to warn her about Joey, she blew her off. And then she got really mad that Kat didn't warn her about Joey. So she's a dick. And she took her mom's pearls and didn't even ask her big sister if she wanted them instead. Was she an asshole in the William Shakespeare? Yeah, I think she was a selfish little girl. She sounds more like the shrew than cat. <laughs> I think they meant the shrew as in like the the spinster lady. The wow. spinster witch, you know? All right. Any other pieces you want to bring up before we get into our cringiest favorite and least favorite? Um, No, I think I covered them. Okay. All right. So what do you think? Uh, my favorite parts were anytime Mr. Morgan. Yeah, he was great. Was featured. So funny. When he wraps out that poem. Mm-hmm. There's so many movies, of this, parts of this movie that are just so iconic. And he had like great posters. Like he had one that said, what is popular isn't always right. And what's right isn't always popular. And I was like, oh, bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then he had like something about like if you cheat the only person you're cheating is yourself or something hey that's how i talk about philosophical yeah exactly (laughs) exactly um so i just loved him and i identified with him a lot um in you know in particular the way he was just straight up talking shit and then um to bianca about or cat about her white feminism and then he (laughs) They had these like uh, there was a bunch of white guys with dreads in this film, mm-hmm. and at some point he said the thing about why doesn't the school buy books written by black men? And these two white kids, like guys with locks, were like, "Yeah, man." And he's like, "I do not want to hear from you too." <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah, it was just like so good. Um, and I also like hard related because there was a moment where he goes. So, like, who wants to read their poem f- for the class? And, like, everyone starts avoiding eye contact Yep, all at once. And I was like, oh, I feel that in my soul. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. Then there. And, like, oh, we notice. <laughs> I know. I always I always get, uh, it's always so funny with students because, and, and it has been so wild to watch this movie from, like, a teacher perspective. But, yeah. But like students will think you can't see them texting under their desk. And yeah. I'm like, you, you know that there's not a back, right? Like you can literally see the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's also um, the cringiest was when Kat, a high school student, shows her tits to yeah. Mr. Chapin to get out to get um, Patrick out of detention, which was 
pretty fucking weird and it didn't feel like really in character for her but it was like right. you know whatever um something i hated this is gonna sound kind of silly but um it's not a scene but it was like so cat if you watch her character and how her character dresses mm-hmm she wears a lot of pants, a lot of like t-shirts, um, like cute baby doll type shirts and cardigans or whatever. But as she becomes tamed, if you will, so as she starts getting more and more into uh, Patrick, she starts getting more and more feminized. Mm. It's very subtle, but like she used to wear like kind of ratty looking cardigans or jackets. And then suddenly she's wearing the embellished sparkly cardigans that Bianca wears and wearing this same kind of skirts that Bianca wears, just like a little bit darker. And uh, that, that was like a subtle thing that was happening, but it kind of, kind of weirded me out. Right. And then, and you know, you're probably, but the costume designer of the movie is probably like, that's exactly what I wanted. Thank you for noticing. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they're happy. That, yeah, because she was tamed, right? And, you know, obviously the case could be made like, oh, she actually wants to take care of herself now, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. It's that whole, and you know, a lot of movies, like She's All That was, maybe we should watch She's All That at some point, just because I keep talking about it. These Those two movies I watched so much that they kind of blob together for yeah. me. Especially mm-hmm. since they kind of have similar plot lines. Which is funny because uh, I didn't watch that movie that much. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved it. Um, so maybe we can watch it. But anyway, um, it's just that whole, that trope of like, oh, a woman becomes less, less fi- you know, like less pant wearing and more feminine. Yeah. The, the, you know, the more in love she becomes yeah hmm. okay all right what are you so my cringiest is not going to be a popular answer but okay so as a viewer i watching him sing on the steps is iconic right like yeah and and i so deeply love he led and it was an emotional journey for me to watch this movie knowing that he died in such a young age mm-hmm. and in such a sad way mm-hmm. but if I were her, I would have crawled. I would have burrowed through the soccer field to run away. <laughs> like, That's as nice. much as I want people to be honest, like having a musical interlude saying at me would horrify me. Grand I, romantic gesture. I am not a grand romantic gesture girl. So. How did, um, did, did Eric propose to you? Yeah. And let me tell you, this is how he proposed to me. We were driving... Okay, so I had told him. Oh, I think you told me this. But. <laughs> the, the audience will want it. So I had told him we were driving, like I was graduating law school. We were moving me into Florida. He was already there. We were driving my car to Florida. And I kept saying, I am very nervous about this. I am not, I do not like road trips. I do not like to be in the car for a long time. I'm afraid that our relationship will not last this car ride because I'm such like, I just, when I'm uncomfortable, I, it's hard for me to regulate that anger issue. Right. So, so I was like, I don't want to do this. So I guess his answer was to propose to me at the beginning, which worked, but basically this is how the proposal went. Uh, We're in my car 
He owns a house two doors down from his mom. We're stopping to drop off a gift for his mom, say bye to her, and then get on the road. There was some stuff of mine that I didn't need right away because we were staying in an apartment. So we were putting it in this like shell of a house that he owned. And I say shell because he like tore apart the inside and then never rebuilt it. So it literally just was a shell. <laughs> and so he so I have on my lap this giant desk that I have in my office. There's like a slide out for the keyboard. I have that in my lap. I'm holding it. And I cannot move. So we get to his mom's house. She lives on this crazy busy street. And I can't get out of the car. And I'm like, let me go to the car. And he's like, I'm coming. And then he opens the door and then just takes my hand and puts a ring on it. But he took my right hand and put a ring on it. And I was like, you're trying to propose. <laughs> That's the wrong hand. Oh, <laughs> and he that had was, a ring at least. Yeah, That's so. So that's how it happened. He went, we went to buy his mom a goodbye present. And at that store, you know, I don't want, I didn't want a diamond. So I said, like, there's this artist. She has a stand in, there was this amazing store in Louisville. I think it's called, I I think it's closed, but it was called Block Party that has like, you know, it's the artist collective. The artist works for, um, they work a, like once a week in the store so that they can have their shit shown in the store kind of deal. And they make all the money off it. So it was an artist that had a stand in that store. And I guess that, and I, when we went in there to buy the gift for the mom, I was like, that's the lady I want to ring from. And the way he picked it out is he goes, that looks like it's the right size. <laughs> so it's totally, <laughs> I love it, but it's totally did not come from a space of romance at okay. all. So, so grand romantic gestures are cringy. not your thing. Mm-mm, not okay. I think. Um, so there's that. Okay. Um, hated it was like uh the so while I think the movie does a really good um point out and parody of the whiteness of these kind of movies, still like it's hard for me to hear the R word in movies and stuff yeah. like that. And so so the like disrespect of um of people in general that comes out a couple times in that movie would like the teachers calling people assholes and like, I didn't really like that, but the, the hard R really got me. Um, and, uh, but loved it. Actually, one of the scenes that I, that always like warms my heart is that when the dad pays the down payment for Sarah Lawrence, she wanted to go across the country to school. He didn't want her to go across the country. He wanted to stay local. Um, he's, has very much a controlling streak to him but like that control you know some people control out of not understanding how to respect how to love someone respectfully and some people have like mental illness control issues right and I think that the dad and those lines are often blurred but the dad's control over them was fear-based but still he loved his daughters and that whole speech like I really identified with because I felt like when my parents had my youngest brother I was 12 both of my parents worked two jobs to like stay afloat because we were poor so I like once I started half raising their kid they couldn't tell me shit like my parents had no involvement in what I was doing from age like 13 up now I didn't do anything really serious because I was a dork but you know like when he said you know, it's hard for parents when they get, have to sit on the sideline. Bianca still lets me play a couple innings. 
Yeah. I was like, that I don't know. It was a heartwarming conversation. And the fact that at the end of the day, he was still helping her live her dreams. I really liked that part. That was nice. Yeah. All right. So does it pass the smell test? Um, I think so. Other than the well, actually, so other there's, you know, some word usage that would probably change. Um I think so, especially, you know, since you kind of gave a different view of what um Cameron, what was going on with Cameron. I would say there's light stalking on Patrick's part <laughs> in the film. <laughs> but I also thought about the context and how back then you couldn't just text a girl <laughs> and go like, hey, what's up? You know, so mm -hmm. what did you do? You saw them out and about. So it's he wasn't like showing up to her home unannounced or anything. Yeah. It would be more creepy. Yeah. And sometimes he just actually let her left her alone right right <laughs> so, um yeah i think for the most part it does i think it's just kind of one of those classic like yeah it started as a bet you know you know calamity of errors happen and then you end up together kind of film i don't know what do you think i, I think it i think it flies through the smell test I actually, I, you know, I think a lot of movies, when we watch them now, I start to think, because I live closer to my niece and nephew, I pay a little more attention of, like, there. I would be fine if when Zora was 12, she wanted to watch this movie. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. there's nothing, there's going to be some swears, and she doesn't like swears. Like, she, when she saw the Barbie movie, she's like, there was almost a bad word at the end. <laughs> <laughs> because they bleep out uh, the President Barbie talk, but... um. But so I so I just think I think I loved it. I loved it again. I'm happy with this movie. I'm I was laughing a lot still. Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes when we watch the movies, like my I my mind wanders because I've seen them before and like I'll be doing other things. But this one I was just engaged and yeah. the movie, all these all of that music needs to come back. Yeah. That so speaking of that music, um it, there was two bands featured in the film, which was mm -hmm. really cool. The band yeah. Letters to Cleo and the band Safe Fairs. And yeah. then um, they both had like kind of prominent roles at like prom. I don't know. I loved that. I don't love musicals, but I love a movie that incorporates music. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. A hundred percent. I hate musicals, but like I love a soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great song, the band Simi Sonic, that's primarily known for closing time. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite songs uh, on the soundtrack is by them when it's not closing time. So yeah, there you go. I don't know. I always thought it was, um, yeah, it's just good. And old you know, that song, it's been one week. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is that, that, which is the most 1999 thing that could yeah. happen. And it actually had me thinking, I, the first thing I was thinking about was I was like, do they do the songs at the like way at the end of editing? Because if a movie comes out, and this is just me being like a dumb person who doesn't understand who film works, and I'm asking someone who does, so this is a good moment. But like those songs weren't popular until the movie came out, right? Like they were popular when the movie came out. How do you get it to be so contemporary? 
Do they not add in the sound editing until like the last part? Well, one week came out in 98. Okay. So I would say it was pretty popular at that point. Okay. But I'm um, saying like, how do they know it'll still be popular? Well, I, I don't. I've always run under the assumption that musical choices are done after a film mm-hmm. and that a lot of the time they're do they're made based on like what's happening in the scene. Cause sometimes I don't know, like I put closed captioning on. So there's sometimes mm-hmm. I'm watching a, like a show or something and like I see the name of the song and I'm like, Oh, Holy shit. That's very on the nose, but right. I know it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I so, love watching things with closed captioning. I wish they did yeah, it at the movie theater. Too. Not only would it be more inclusive, yeah. but I just like to do that. Well, Regal does sometimes they do closed captioning versions of mm-hmm. films, but they're only like special show, like certain showings out of like all 12 of them or whatever. Um, but I also, so I think that it's like partial, like that it does get put in at the end. And I also think that a lot of it depends on what they have the rights to. Mm-hmm. yeah so i imagine whoever released whatever production company released this film probably also owned the rights to um one week and yeah. some of these other films and maybe who so richard gibbs did did the music yeah um and apparently he's done a bunch of stuff including the first season of the Is that one of the um the Barry Gibbs and Richard Gibbs? He's not one of the uh Bee Gees. You would think so, right? Music Gibbs. Um someday I'll expose you to my excellent Bee Gees impersonation. He was a 44-year-old man, so I don't know how he chose this music. Yeah. But I don't know. But speaking of good music movies, we have another one coming up next week clueless so stay tuned next week for clueless and our very special guest camille and we are so appreciative that you took the time to listen to us today if you have suggestions or if you want to be a guest on the show please hit us up we are on gmail at the smell test podcast as well as instagram on the smell test podcast and on x the smell test pod or is it just smell test is there a the I think there's a the maybe. Yeah. All right. So so thanks, y'all. Take care, everybody. Bye.